You're listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast with Dr. Cameron Marshall. Ask Concussion Doc is a show where we answer your questions about concussions, treatment, and rehabilitation to help practitioners better manage these injuries. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Ask Concussion Doc, episode number 100. Woohoo! Big centenarian episode. Uh, today we have a guest, uh, Melinda Crinan Hill, who is a registered psychotherapist, and we are going to be talking all about nervous system hypersensitivity, what it is, how it happens, how you can help to deal with it, and also kind of along the same vein for some people is going to be dealing with certain setbacks that happen throughout your recovery. Anybody with PCS that's been going through it for any length of time will know or can attest to the fact that you will have, you know, these setbacks where you go and do something or try something new and it ends up setting you back for a period of, of time, sometimes uh, weeks or, or even longer. So let's do the intro here. Melinda Crinan Hill uh, at Stillspace on Instagram for those that are watching live on Instagram. She is a registered psychotherapist, trained mindfulness facilitator, and the founder of Still, Still Space, which is a mindfulness consulting company that offers mindfulness and compassion-based initiatives to enhance wellness. Melinda has a dynamic and comprehensive background in both psychotherapy and mindfulness. She has trained in a range of mindfulness-based interventions, such as mindfulness-based cognitive therapy and mindful self-compassion. And her academic background includes a master of education in counseling psychology from the University of Toronto and a master's of public health in health promotion from the University of Alberta. Focuses mostly in chronic pain management, post-concussion syndrome, complex health conditions, rare diseases, autoimmune conditions, um, health, anxiety, depression, adjustment difficulties, uh, and also works with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, anxiety, panic, stress, life transition, and relationship issues, everything under the sun, uh, particularly around chronic conditions and PCS. So Melinda, welcome to the 100th episode of Ask Concussion Doc. Thank you so much for having me, Cam. Excited to be here for the 100th episode. We'll make it epic. It's, it's a big deal. So Melinda and I um, have known each other for a few years now. She's been on the show before, and um, she is part of the Concussion Fix program with myself and Dr. Paul Herkel. And this is actually the topic we're covering today uh, around nervous system hypersensitivity is something that uh, Melinda covered in one of our live sessions. So for those that don't know, inside the Concussion Fix program, we do live weekly Zoom calls, a group session with everybody. And sometimes we pick topics, certain topics that we uh, want to discuss, things that we feel will facilitate or help uh, the patients and, 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 and people within that program. And um, this topic was something that I found super interesting from a clinical standpoint, because I know that um, I've probably been guilty of this with my patients of probably pushing too hard when they're not in a place to be able to do that. I tend to take that approach most of the time. So that was super interesting for me as a clinician. So I'm sure the clinicians that are watching live will get some great benefit out of this as well as the patients. So before I start grilling Melinda with questions and we get into the topic, I first want to just read out some things that may resonate with the listeners or viewers, depending on where you are at. So this is what we're talking about today. If this resonates with you, then you're going to want to stick around and you're going to want to watch this. I am easily overwhelmed by mild stressors. 
I am easily overwhelmed by environmental stimuli, lights, smell, loud noise. I find even brief social interactions draining. So how many people over there, if you're on Instagram live, you can comment. If any of this resonates with you, you can also comment your questions as we go through this and we'll be able to answer them live. For those of you watching on YouTube, feel free to comment below. Um, so I find my PCS symptoms are easily triggered by subtle changes in my environment. I feel overwhelmed when starting new treatments. I find physical therapy too difficult and or I find that I am fatigued for days after physical therapy. And that's one there that kind of resonates with me where I have patients that will do some treatment and stuff and they'll just find that it just, you know, wipes them out for, for days afterwards. I find physical therapies too stimulating and they increase my PCS symptoms. I am sometimes unresponsive to medications and other treatments. I have not made progress in psychotherapy or other mental health treatments despite my best efforts. And the final one is I am unable to follow through with treatment recommendations and I don't know why. So I'm sure that many people are definitely resonating with these things. So let's just start off with a general question for you is what is nervous system hypersensitivity? Great question. You know, I think even just reading out those questions, I bet the audience can kind of uh, recognize or see themselves in some of those. And nervous system hypersensitivity, you might think just comes when you have a concussion or when you've been diagnosed with post-concussion syndrome. Um, however, a lot of times um, nervous system hypersensitivity starts way back. It could be in childhood, it could be in your teenage years, it could be in early adulthood. Um, there's a few factors that are involved. So the first is really our predisposition to having um, a more sensitive nervous system. So that might be um, exposures as a child, you know, maybe you were sickly, maybe you got sick a lot as a, as a child and became more sensitive in that way. Um, it may just be personality, it may be, hey, you know, I find I'm very emotional to certain things, or, or you know, growing up, you might have noticed that you're a bit more emotional or sensitive. So you might think of these things as not causing a hyperactive nervous system, but potentially predisposing you to have a hypersensitive nervous system if you were to have a setback like concussion in the future. You know, of course, there are other larger um, trauma-based uh, predispositions that can happen in childhood, that can happen uh, over the course of your life, you know, if you're in a car accident, um, if you were to be in some sort of natural disaster or are from like a war-torn country, anything where we might be setting the tone for this sensitive nervous system. So those are sort of the, the predispositions. Um, there's so much more I could say about that, but given we're in live, I think I'll just leave it at that. If anyone has questions, please let us know. Yeah. Um, Secondly, you know, hypersensitive or overactive nervous system can um, come forward, you know, even later in life when uh, or if we're exposed to repeated states of stress, if we repeatedly are ill, if we have, um, you know, in PCS, we learn a lot, you know, sometimes this isn't someone's first concussion, they might say, hey, you know, I've actually recovered fine from my first concussion and had no uh, you know, ramifications from that. And then their second or their third, well, suddenly they're having such a hard time recovering. There's obviously other factors involved in that. But one thing you might think about is, hey, now your predisposition to having a sensitive nervous system is heightened. So I think that's the important thing to sort of lay the foundation is recognizing the factors that might lead you to 
be having an oversensitive or hyperactive nervous system currently. Um, and that it could be any sequence of events that have happened in your life. But I think a lot of PCS sufferers um, can relate to the fact that they probably had more than one stressors or maybe before their PCS, they led a very high stress life, whether that's work, interpersonally, socially, whatever it was, um, there might be other factors involved that can set the stage for you to have a more hyperactive nervous system. Um, I think that answers sort of half of the question. And then the other part is really, you know, what is it? Do we want to get into that now, Cam? Yeah, I mean, I, I just, something came up in what you said, and I just want to try and see if there's mm -hmm. any way we can kind of tease it out or clarify. But you mentioned trauma. Um, would this be like a mild form of post-traumatic stress or, or what's the differentiation between, you know, one or the other? Like, how would you be able to make that? Yeah, I mean, when we're thinking about predisposition or predisposing factors to having a sensitive nervous system, it can be a small trauma, like an, an accident, um, you know, a really high stress or high conflict family home growing up. Um, but it can also be a larger trauma like assault, uh, or being part of a natural disaster. So there's such a range, it's such a broad spectrum. When we talk about trauma, but typically the language is small t trauma or large t trauma. Mm -hmm. um, that can be those part of those predisposing factors. So what, what then causes this, like aside from the, the trauma aspects, is there like an underlying physiologic mechanism that we're aware of, or, um, you know, what's, what's kind of the underlying pathology of, if, if you will, if that's a, if that's a good way to describe it. You know, I think that's a really hard question to, to even answer because when we think about, you know, how does it develop, you know, some people, um, might have been raised in a really stressful household or experienced small T, large T trauma and seem to still have that resilience moving forward and may still recover well, whereas others don't, you know, mm. and it is so individual. And I think, you know, from a physiological or biochemical, I couldn't really even answer that with this, the psychology background I have. Um, but I think, you know, it's not something as easy as saying this is exactly how you know, you would be diagnosed, or you would have a hypersensitive nervous system. It's sort of each individual. And what I always sort of say is to try to invite yourself to get curious, you know, if you resonate with having a hyperactive nervous system, or an overactive nervous system, can you think back of what might be some of those predisposing factors, or what might have brought you to this today, because everyone's journey in life is so different. So it's really hard to answer in terms of, you know, what exactly caused this. Mm -hmm. Just because there's there's a concept in in pain which is like a central sensitization in a way where your your nervous system basically has a almost an overreactive response to you know smaller stimuli or pain. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just wondering if it if it would be along the same line. Like I have I have no idea. I'm just asking that. But yeah, maybe. Uh, maybe a term to think about is like the stress tolerance or, you know, how there's that threshold to, um, I forget what the term is called that you talk about in the, in the concussion fix. Um, but there's one where, you know, all of when we're starting baseline after a concussion or we're starting to recover, there's a, there's a threshold in which you'll go overboard and maybe start to experience more symptoms. Um, and it's, we can think of it as, you know, everyone's, whatever your threshold is, is going to be different from the next person. Mm -hmm. And that's just based on your genetics, your physiology, your life events, your predisposing factors to things like stress, your resilience level. Um, and I think that, you know, trying to understand 
where your threshold is, is just, again, such an individual thing. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always call it the line. Like I say, like, what's your line? Where's that, you know, you want to, you want to flirt with that line. You don't want to stop short of that line because then the line gets closer to you. Right. So you want to be able Mm -hmm. to kind of get to that line and, and, and just go beyond that line slightly. Um, now, but so, where that line starts, yeah, where that line starts may look so different from patient A to patient B. Right. Um, right. And when you think of patient A, if their uh, line is down here and patient B is up here, you might think, hey, did patient A have factors along the way that maybe made them more predisposed to having a hypersensitive nervous system that might cause them to have a lower stress tolerance? Right. Right. So, and is this, is this, I guess, concept, is this like a normal thing? Like everyone kind of has some level of sensitivity of their nervous system. And then certain people, because of stressors or traumas in their lives, they get, you know, their line gets closer to them in, in, in a way, if that, if that, you know, makes sense, is that, or, or is this a completely maladaptive things gone off the rails type of hmm. situation? I think it's really normal. You know, I think part of what we did in bringing up this topic was to really normalize that, you know, these things that happen to you, whether, you know, you might be comparing yourself to someone who's recovered much quicker than you is a reiteration that it's not your fault, that, that this is what your trajectory looks like for recovery, that it's actually just part of your, you know, composition and that uh, recognizing there can be so much power in recognizing and learning where you are so that you can begin to increase your stress tolerance and, and help to um, reestablish, as I'm sure we'll get into this safety, that your nervous system doesn't have to respond in that fight or flight uh, mode. So I think, um, you know, normalizing this is such an important part of the conversation because having a hypersensitive nervous system is probably a lot more common than we think when it comes to chronic injury, illness, or other. Mm-hmm. Or even baseline set points, right? Like, like mm-hmm. even just thinking about uh, this thought just crossed my mind now, but um, my wife, Pam, is she's, she's very um, sensitive to noise. So if like the TV's on too loud, she's like, turn that off right now. Whereas like, I can tolerate it. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't bother me, but she's mm-hmm. very sensitive to noise. And so she's out, she's always going around turning things down and off and things uh, muting everything. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So she's probably mm-hmm. got a lower, like a set point for that or something that, that uh, is, is that way. But um, do you think that this is something that is present in all PCS patients, post-concussion syndrome patients, like, is this something that you, you see pretty, pretty well universal across the board? Um, I'm sure like we just talked about, I'm sure it's a spectrum, but you know, I'm just assuming or just thinking about my own patients. I feel like this is something that's present in so many. Yeah. I mean, I think as clinicians, it resonates with us, with so many of the the clients and patients that we see. Uh, I wouldn't say it's in every PCS patient, I mean, potentially someone with PCS that goes through our concussion fix um, program might have a a neck dysfunction. Once that's sort of sorted through and worked through, they may be fine. Um, Whereas other people that are more persistent and have been through a million things, you know, maybe they do have a little bit more sensitivities, Mm -hmm. or maybe they've been taking on too much that your nervous system can't tolerate it. And you're not seeing the gains that you'd like, Mm -hmm. uh, like to make. So for example, like from the list you read, Mm-hmm. Uh, when we first started. Um, so I think, mm, you know, I, I don't have any data to sort of 
uh, present on this, but I, from my experience, a lot of the clients I see definitely have um, a predisposition, if not are experiencing this hyperactive nervous system. Um, but I wouldn't say it's in every PCS patient. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's been studies. I, I mean, again, I, I don't know what the exact percentage is, but there's been studies that find that people are more sensitive to pain after concussion, especially those with persistent symptoms so that their pain threshold uh, is lowered. So that kind of shows that the nervous system to some degree is, is hypersensitive in that way. Mm -hmm. And then you think about all the other things that people have as part of their symptom presentation, right? Sensitivity to light and noise. These are the big ones or even crowded environments, movement. Um, you know, there's, there's this idea of like visual motion sensitivity, um, all of these things where a lot of times it gets, it gets just chalked up to, you know, let's say an ocular motor dysfunction where that could be some component of it, but like, you know, how many of these patients are going completely unrecognized as having some sort of, of, you know, nervous system hypersensitivity, something going on more systemically than just the motion that's happening around them. Right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I, I think that's a great point to highlight for any clinicians that are listening right now is that, you know, if you try something diagnostically, that seems like it will be helpful and it is helpful in some way, well, you're probably on the right track, but if you've tried, tried a few approaches diagnostically and you're not finding any uh, impact or any, you know, positive benefit, okay, well, perhaps thinking about slowing it down and seeing where that nervous system is, you know, does this person um, report that they uh, experience a lot of sensitivities in their life? Are they, you know, giving you that laundry list of things that might, you know, raise the flag and say, hey, this person might just have a really oversensitive nervous system. And until that is sorted out, and that um, patient is able to get the skills and competencies to feel more safe internally, mm -hmm. then they are more likely to, uh, to have benefit in the, in the approaches that you're taking. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's talk about that. There was a couple things there. So the one was, was safety, right? And mm -hmm. I asked if this is kind of a maladaptive behavior, is this, is this rooted in anxiety anyway? Um, you know, like, let's talk about noise, for example. So you have a patient that goes out to a restaurant or even traffic noise or, you know, crowds, or they're in a conversation at a dinner table and it just becomes kind of overwhelming to them. Um, you know, is that, is, is there something there that's rooted in like a safety mechanism, like alert, you know, get out of here because this is bad for you or how does that kind of work? Like, how do you kind of conceptualize that or, or think, mm -hmm. how, how do you think about it? I guess. Yeah, I think sometimes the easiest way to kind of understand it is to think about the most common way that our nervous system works and our autonomic system has the parasympathetic and the sympathetic. So one of them, the sympathetic is a fight or flight response. When our body perceives danger or imminent threat, it does one of three things. Uh, fight, flight, or freeze. Um, there's actually a few more, but I think generally speaking, fight, flight, and freeze are the main ones that we understand. The parasympathetic system, on the other hand, functions that when the body knows it's safe, it can do things like rest and digest, right? It can take down the armor and say, hey, I can focus on these important body functions, which is also when the body heals in that parasympathetic state. So when you have an overactive nervous system, what's happening in these stimulus you might be getting from your environment is that it's constantly signaling the sympathetic system, that fight or fight 
fight or flight response. And the more chronic that becomes where that fight or flight system is constantly activated, the more likely it is that you're going to develop an overactive nervous system over time. So I find a lot of patients and clients will share with me, well, you know, then this happened and this happened and I just constantly feel on edge and I can't sleep and I'm, you know, rolled up in a ball of tension and stress. And that to me is a pretty clear indication that, hey, you're in constant fight or flight mode. And what happens when you're in that all the time is that it's really hard to start regulating um, uh, regulating your system, your emotions, you know, your physical recovery, you're going to not hinder, but you're going to um, uh, your ability to recover from a, a physiological respect, perspective or cellular level is probably going to be compromised. So there's so much that is going to lead to ongoing damage or ongoing setbacks if you're um, in this fight or flight mode in a chronic way. So part of this is um, helping people to understand when they're in that fight or flight mode and learning to move over and activate their own rest and digest, their parasympathetic, which can be things like mindfulness, grounding, uh, simple breath work, mindful movements. There's a ton of things that we get into in the concussion fix that really breaks that down. So I think really understanding it from this autonomic nervous system perspective can help us to understand when we might be most likely to be having an oversensitive nervous system. Again, that's when this fight or flight or sympathetic nervous system is activated too much, meaning that um, uh, we're always perceiving threat even if there is no threat there. So like the noise, the lights, our body and our nervous system is interpreting that as danger and mm -hmm. that we need to get away and get to safety, even though there really isn't a threat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The, I mean, it's, it's like, that's kind of like anxiety in a way because anxiety in a lot of ways is a protective mechanism to you know, signify that there's a threat and it activates our sympathetic nervous system and it gets us moving mm. to, you know, fight or flight to get out of there um, or freeze if that's, if that's your response. Um, and so it's, it's kind of interesting in that way that, that something that is designed to protect you, if, you know, something is perceived as threatening, which is now not necessarily a threatening stimulus, um, is is there all the time you you begin to just perceive that all the time and you're in this constant state of you know this hyper vigilant state um but i know just just from from my clinical work and i do a lot of manual therapy and i'll have patients that are you know just really really jacked up and i'll treat them and it'll it'll just make everything worse like it'll just flare them up completely and all of these things so what would be your advice um, like we want to talk about now treatment angles, um, you know, for something like this, is this, if I'm a clinician, and I'm treating somebody, is this something that I should be trying to do first before I do treatment? Is this something I can do concurrently? Um, is this something I can just teach my patients how to do, or is this something that we should involve psychotherapy or, you know, so let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about treatment. Where do we go with okay. this? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of the best way to answer that. You know, I think when we're talking about treatment, you can probably get a sense of which clients or patients are struggling with your treatment plan. And that might be your first sign to say, hey, if the treatments I'm implementing aren't effective, 
let's see if I can go a little bit deeper and get an understanding of what that experience is like for the client or patient. So if they're like, uh, we read off in the, the list you read at the beginning, if they're complaining of any of these things, it might be, well, wait a second, maybe, you know, for example, if you're a chiropractor, um, maybe acupuncture to help regulate the nervous system is the only treatment that's going to be effective in that moment. Whereas the manual therapies and the other things might overwhelm the nervous system, cause that fight or flight response to activate, send them into this, you know, um, excitability uh, or overactivity that's actually just going to flare everything up. Mm-hmm. Um, so you might have to use your judgment. And, you know, I, I, I find this topic so important. And I've said this a few times, I just really want to get this all into an online course so that it's available for clinicians as well as patients and clients. Um, because I think once we can tease this apart and really understand it, it makes intuitive sense as a clinician what to do when you when these clients present Um, differently in in clinic. You know, you might try one thing that's very standard diagnostically, and it's going to work great. But then the next one, it it doesn't work at all, it flares them up. And, you know, there's a way to sort of start teasing that apart, knowing about this hypersensitive nervous system, um, so that you can implement treatments that are going to be more effective, and actually help them increase their stress tolerance, and decrease that sympathetic, sympathetic activation. The is this something um, along like kind of that same line? Is this something that in terms of decreasing your stress tolerance, similar to, you know, let's say like a cognitive behavioral type thing or, or um, a treatment for anxiety is to, is to somehow sit with that um, to experience that to some degree. And, you know, what would be a recommendation for somebody, let's say that has trouble in, um, in crowded environments in let's say a restaurant, right? That's, that's one that we always get is people want to just go out for dinner with their friends or go to like a social gathering of some kind. And, but every time they do, it crushes them for a week, you know? So how can that person, you know, try to get over that? Um, Yeah. From a psychology perspective. Just, just from an overall. Yeah. I think that's, treatments. yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, from a psychology perspective, if, you know, I had someone coming in saying, hey, I just really want to sit with my friends, even though I'm having this noise tolerance issue, you know, what can I do? Um, I typically use an approach that's based in CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy, something called exposure response prevention. And all that is, is a way of reintroducing your body, your nervous system to gradual stimulation to help you build up a tolerance. And what we know uh, on the research in that approach is that your body habituates over time and the stimulus that was once overwhelming is no longer overwhelming. Um, But it's gradual and it's a process and it takes a while to build up that stress tolerance, but it's absolutely possible. I would say, you know, as a mental health clinician, that's my approach, but I would say that it's it's not just psychotherapy that um, can help with that. I think it's also things like acupuncture, naturopathic remedies, diet. I think a lot of things that are implemented by other clinicians can be just as effective. I think for those that are really struggling to try to make sense of, of um, how overwhelmed they might feel in certain situations, psychotherapy, psychotherapy can be so helpful and supportive to get you on the right track and start building that stress tolerance. Is there, is there risks to, so again, kind of along, is there, is there a risk for somebody, let's say that is having noise tolerance issues? Is there a risk to them for going and, you know, trying to expose themselves, or is it something that you would want to do under supervision of some kind, or, you know, I, I just, 
I feel that as uh, I tend to try and push people to just go and try it and sit with it, you know, trying to encourage them that, you know, there's going to be no adverse risk necessarily in terms of a concussion recovery standpoint, but is there a risk from a nervous system hypersensitivity standpoint? Could that make actually make things worse in the long run? Um, I think from a harm perspective, you're not doing yourself any harm. Uh, if you put yourself in a situation where you become overwhelmed, you're probably prolonging your recovery. So once you can make sense of that and recognize that if you just throw yourself into a concert and then you're knocked out for three weeks, you're probably not building up that stress tolerance. You're not increasing your stress threshold. Mm -hmm. So it's probably staying the same, if not getting lower, because you're starting to even, um, uh, you know, probably be a bit more squeamish next time you think about going into a noise environment, it can start to create fear and anxiety around that. Um, so no, I don't think it's going to create harm, but it may prolong your recovery. Right. So again, it's, it's talking about this kind of window of, of, of tolerance of, you know, where mm -hmm. your, where's your line, right? You don't want to fall short of that line because then that line actually gets closer to you, but you don't want to blow so mm -hmm. far past that line that you're, you know, you're wiped out. The, the example I use, and I think this will probably relate to people that, you know, have experience with training and things like that is if, if, you know, if you haven't gone on a run in a while and you go out and try to run a 10 K with no training, you're going to just be wiped out dead and you're going to be sore for a week. And you may have, you know, other injuries, you may, you know, damage some muscle tissue and have things like that. You may end up some cartilage issues, but if you were to then say, well, I want to start running again, um, but I'm only going to run for five seconds, you're so far below, you know, any type of actual, you know, growth that you're not doing anything. So you have to try and find that sweet spot, right? You don't start with mm -hmm. 10K, maybe you start with one, maybe you start with 1K uh, and then see how you do from there and then gradually build from there. So same thing, if you have noise issues, don't throw yourself into the concert, but you know, maybe go into the restaurant, um, you know, and just kind of look around, go to the washroom and then leave, you know, kind of thing. And that way you've had some exposure. Okay. That wasn't so bad. And then, you know, try some more on a, on a kind of growing, growing basis. Does that yeah, I would say so. I mean, you want to set yourself up for a success experience. So if you know that it's going to be difficult, and you just try to force yourself to do it and plow through it, which to be honest, is most people's approaches to things is just to say, hey, I'm just gonna do it, I'll get over it, I'll move past it. And usually that creates more setbacks in the long run. Um, but if we learn to just dip our toe in a little bit, and then take a step back, come back and maybe dip two toes in next time, take a step back and rest, we're actually building up that stress tolerance. So, you know, I think, you know, starting out by understanding where you're at is so important around this nervous system hypersensitivity, because if it does resonate with you, well, your approach to treatment and recovery is probably going to look different than someone else whose stress, stress threshold is quite high. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I find that's what, that's probably where a lot of patients go wrong. And especially when they're trying to exercise, like I'll have patients say, every time I try to exercise, I end up floored. And I'm like, well, you're doing too much. You have to know kind of where that line is. And the way to do that is to, is to start slow and build up or to actually have some sort of testing done. Like, especially with exercise, you're looking at, you know, like actually doing a treadmill test. But if people don't have access to that, they just try to go out and run and see how they feel. Whereas they should be starting with something different or, mm -hmm. or even less. But we have a question here from Joanna, which I think kind of ties into this is once people go and have 
these types of scenarios, like say they go to a restaurant and they do have a symptom flare, how do they get over the anxiety of then having, you know, to try and go back to that. So here's Joanna here. She says, how do you get over the anxiety you have before going to stressful places, i.e. where you know your symptoms will flare up? And that's another thing that people say, I know that they will flare up. Does that become a self-fulfilling prophecy to people or should they, (laughs) should they drop that lingo? I I always try to say where they may flare up. Like we don't know that yet, but if you go in with that thought that this is going to happen, is -hmm. that setting yourself up for a bit of a, of a challenge? Yeah. And I think going back to that idea of setting yourself up for success, you know, if you know, it's a situation which you're going to get overwhelmed, it doesn't mean avoid that situation altogether because now you're making no progress. Um, but it means maybe you have to adjust what that exposure looks like. So uh, for example, in, if I'm treating someone with a, a panic disorder or a phobia of some sort, we actually start by picturing going there. And once picturing going there is no longer overwhelming, then we start thinking about going there. Maybe we set a date, we plan for it. Maybe we stand outside the building. Maybe we stand near it. Um, maybe we set someone else to come with us so that there's a support. And it may actually be 10 or 15 times before you actually go and do that. But the likelihood of of doing that preparation is also signaling your nervous system that this is not a threatening activity. I'm not going to be harmed by doing this, by setting gradual steps to get there versus just saying, you know, for example, grocery stores are really difficult for a lot of concussion uh, patients. So by saying, well, I have to go grocery shopping. So I'm just going to put myself there and I'm going to do it every week. Um, that might be too much, right? And I know there's all sorts of logical reasons why you might still have to go. But if you can think about doing it gradually, where maybe you bring a support person, and you just go in for one item, and then you ask them to pick up three items for you. Or you go in and just stand there for a few minutes and then leave and you go back the next day. So you're building up that um, safety, I want to use that word again, that you don't have to go into that fight or flight mode knowing that there might be a uh, perceived threat in whatever circumstance it is. So it all kind of comes back to the nervous system and learning to work with those um, sympathetic activation. And if we gradually learn to expose ourselves, we're most likely going to allow ourselves to go back into that parasympathetic state where we know we're safe. Mm. So going to the grocery store might still be uncomfortable, but it might not be scary or it might not bring on anxiety. That's kind of the example that I give to people too, about just, you know, their exposure is, is, you know, go to the grocery store with like, with the intention of not buying anything, you know, before you actually make it something that you're going to do on a regular basis. And I find what people, you know, that want to do things, particularly in like kind of the young adult crowd that, you know, they, they want to go to a baseball game with their friends and they'll ask me, Hey, is it okay if I go to a baseball game? And I'm like, well, it depends. Do you have issues with noise, crowds, things like that? Like, can you, can you leave at any time? Like what's, you know, have you done anything to build this up? Or, you know, I feel that when people try to do something like that, they'll go to a baseball game and it will wipe them out. They'll, they'll now get kind of depressed and down about that fact. Uh, And then they'll just say, well, I can't do that anymore. But maybe the way to think about that is to not just say, I'm not going to do that, but to say, what's, what's the step I can take today so that I can go to a baseball game, you know, two months from now, or, you know what I mean? So, and same thing with exercise, right? I don't want to run a, I can't run a marathon tomorrow, but if I wanted to run a marathon in six months, how would I prepare for that? 
I'm not going to prepare by going out and starting to run a series of marathons. I have to prepare by starting with my, you know, one, two, three, four, five K and building up to be able to eventually do that. So I, I find that that's a big thing that people have a hard time dealing with when they have concussion, because they used to be able to do this. They feel like they should still be able to do this. And so they just go and try to do it. And then that's where the setback comes in. And then there's where the anxiety starts to build after that. And, you know, it just, it just kind of creates this. So I think last t- talk we had, we were setting intentions uh, in, in the concussion fix program. And I think one of the things that um, was so important was that idea of just kind of smarting, starting small and, you know, and kind of growing um, up, up, up from that. So um, do you have anything to add on that? Or I just, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's kind of the, um, you know, the recipe for this is, is yes, maybe I used to do things at this level, but right now I'm here because I've had this physical health setback. And if I'm constantly comparing myself and trying to be up here, I'm going to be adding to my suffering. And the more you're forcing yourself and trying to get back there, the more likely it is that you're not going to do very well in those initiatives, or maybe you do on a good day, but then it might set you back over time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, part of the work I do as a psychotherapist is really letting people say, Hey, can we set a new normal that's here and start building success experiences so that you can get back to whether or not you get back to exactly where you were, but you can develop this new normalcy that's going to be somewhere um, higher up than where you started, but done in a way that's actually going to um, create that foundation for, um, for success by working with where your body is, whether that's from, uh, you know, a fight or flight place and bringing yourself back into that rest or digest whether that's working with some of the anxiety, panic, depression, there's so many um, things that can come up. And, you know, I'm holding myself back from like going on different tangents <laughs> about some of this around anxiety and depression, because that is a whole other can of worms um, that is so important as well. And I do think it's very relevant to where our nervous system is at. Mm. Um, um, and we can actually learn a lot from just getting to know our own nervous system reactions and understanding if we do have that hyperactivity. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk just, just a bit about setbacks. I know you have a hard stop uh, soon. So I do. Yeah. Three o'clock. Yeah. So I want to get into just a little bit about setbacks, kind of a bit of a, um, a different topic, just because I know that so many people, when they do have these experiences and they experience this setback, they'll often get discouraged. So do you have any, any tips of, how to think about these setbacks, how to, um, you know, kind of work through these issues, because a lot of times it's, it's, you know, kind of draining on the mental health side of things where you're just like, oh, you know, here I am again, I thought I was getting better and now I'm not, and am I going to be like this forever? So just maybe provide some, some tips or guidance on how people can just think about that. I know that's a, it's a big topic, but um, maybe if you just start, we can try to unwrap it a little bit. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, first of all, just normalize the fact that it's, it's hard. It's discouraging to try and do things and have a setback or to become worried about it or anxious about trying things again. Um, that that's really a part of going through concussion and learning that, Hey, I do need to dip my toe into the hot water in order to get somewhere, but it's really unpleasant. Um, you know, I think from 
the work I do in psychotherapy, there's a lot of strategies to kind of help people to build up that tolerance and say, hey, how do I work with the anxiety, the panic that comes up when I try to do these things? Um, and again, focusing on those gradual steps that are going to set you up for success. Um, I think my biggest piece of advice is if you're someone who you know feels that you're here and wants to get back here, and you're constantly aiming for that goal to get back here, that's going to add to your suffering. It's going to add to your anxiety, it's going to add to your panic, it's going to add to your depression. So if there's a way to sort of negotiate with yourself and say, hey, this isn't where I want to be. But if I set myself a, um, a new goal or a new normal, just within the range where you where you are starting where you are, that's actually going to help me in the long run to gradually build up. Yeah, I think time. that's, I think that's something especially when you have people that are high achievers, academics, um, you know, um, athletes, um, you name it, anybody that has that, that drive, um, is going to look at this as being completely devastating. Um, and I think that's something to kind of keep in mind and conceptualize of, you know, don't try to run the marathon tomorrow, even if you used to be a marathon runner, right. You haven't trained in, you haven't trained in a few months, so you have to you have to kind of build back up again. Um, I think that's something uh, something to consider. So let's see if we have any questions um, over here. Unless you have anything else you want to add on any of this stuff, I was just um, gonna I was just gonna add to that and say you know you can even just name for yourself when you notice you're doing that comparison when you're trying to get back to the way you used to be. You can even just say the word comparison name it, you know, let yourself know what you're doing, bring some awareness to those patterns that might be keeping you in an unhelpful place. The more you get to know the patterns that you're in, the more likely you can set yourself up for those success experiences. Mm -hmm. There was somebody in the program the other day that said that basically she had, she had done everything that we had recommended before. Uh, I, 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 I'm not sure if you remember this, this comment, but she said that She's like, before I joined this program, she said, I looked at the outline and was like, well, I've done diet, I've done meditation, I've done this, I've done that, you know, like, I don't know what this is going to do. But she said the big thing that resonated for her was us saying, slow it down and like build on the concepts and don't move on until you've completely mastered, you know, a particular element. Because for example, the first, the very first kind of module educational piece is you talking about your mindset and you are going to have setbacks. And so framing somebody's mind around this idea that this is completely normal in the recovery from any injury, you're going to have periods of time where things flare up, where things get a little bit worse, but how you work through that and whether you, completely fall apart or whether or not you have the resiliency to kind of, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and continue, that's going to make the difference between continuing on when things get hard. Right. So, I mean, that comment just resonated completely with what you're saying is that she said, when I made the decision and the promise to myself that I was going to stay and figure this piece out and really have the tools in my tool belt to be able to use it when I need it, when things got hard. Um, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's a huge, huge element of recovery. And I think that's such, such tough part too, for people to wrap their head around is everyone's looking for the quick fix. How do I get back to normal? I just want to go back to the life I used to live. Tell me how to do it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think, you know, people will scan through all sorts of material and do all sorts of treatments. Um, without really slowing down to understand what their unique situation is. What are your unique needs? How can you support yourself? What are some of the things that you can do to work through the struggles you're facing? Um, that can be such a hard concept for people to, to embrace is this, hey, I, I can't just jump back to normal. 
Um, I think I start the module uh, in the recovery mindset for the concussion fix by saying the best way out is always through, right? It's a mm. Robert Frost quote mm. and people hate it. <laughs> They're like, I hate that. Why do I have to do that? That's yeah. awful. Yeah. I don't want to go through the muck. Just yeah. give me any way that I can jump over it, go underneath it, right. swim across yeah. it. You, you know, yeah. they'll, there's any list, laundry list of ways that you can get around it people want. And, and that makes so much sense. And I'm not trying to poo that. I think it's just a really normal human reaction to pain and suffering. Nobody wants that. Mm. Um, but in terms of coming back from something more chronic, you do need to go back to the basics and say, Hey, I need to learn about myself. I need to understand my nervous system. I need to understand the triggers so that I can move forward slowly and gradually and build that foundation back. There's two, there's two things that came to mind when you were saying that, um, the one is that people looking for the quick fix often are just taking the long road because as you keep looking for the quick, it's the same thing as get rich quick schemes, right? If you think about it from an investing standpoint, you know, who are the best investors? The ones who invest in the, you know, the long term, right? They find the things that are going to be successful in the long term. They're not going to be sexy because they're going to earn you just a steady, you know, 10 to 15% a year, which is a great return. And over time that will build significant wealth. The people who end up losing everything are the people that are going for all the little inside tips and, you know, put money here and there and investing in these penny stocks that are, you know, expected to be the next big thing. And they just end up chasing everything around, but losing everything in the process. And so it's the same kind of concept when people come in and they'll, they'll ask me this too. They'll, they'll want to join the program and say, look, I want to join the program, but I notice that there's all this other stuff, but I think it's my neck. And so can I just get the neck piece? And I'm always like, no, the reason is because the neck is the last thing on the list, right? It's important. And a lot of times that is the key, but you have to build the foundation. So the second part of what I was going to say is that you guys don't know this yet. I'm going to send it out. I'll, 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 I'll forward it to you and Paul, but I built this pyramid. It's like a, just a way to visualize this idea. And so there's three kind of structures on the pyramid. And at the lower base, I have the mindset idea, right? Nervous system, hypersensitivity, mindset, stress reduction, uh, meditation, like building the tools that you're going to need to be able to go through the rest of this process. That's the foundation. That's the, that's the key piece at the bottom. Then in the middle, I have inflammation, diet, gut health, et cetera. And then at the very tip is the rehab, right? So the entire idea of rehab, but what do people do? Oh, it's my eyes. I'm going to vision rehab, but they haven't done the other stuff. So the vision rehab is not going to be helpful because they have also a neck issue that's because they have chronic inflammation and they have chronic inflammation mm -hmm. and they have so much neck tension because they're constantly stressed and nervous system jacked up. So you can do all the rehab therapy you want. So if you've ever been going through vestibular therapy, vision therapy, neck treatment, whatever, and you're not getting better, the reason is because you likely haven't built that foundation. So you need to kind of go back to the basics. And actually by doing that, by taking the quote unquote long road, that's actually the shortest path that you could possibly be on. Cause otherwise you're just going to be chasing the quick fix forever and losing everything and mostly time. Um, yeah. You know, you might get the instant gratification. You might get that. Oh, I'm better for a little while, but in the right. long term, if you haven't built your foundation, you're more, more likely to have a setback. It's like building a house without putting a foundation in what's going to exactly. happen over time. It's, it's going to fall apart. In, it's going to sink into the mud. Yeah. <laughs>
Absolutely. It's such a hard concept to wrap your head around. And I think, you know, I want to extend so much compassion to anyone who's listening because it is a real thing. Of course you want the quick fix. Of course you just want to get back to normal. Um, And, you know, I think that's a lot of the work I do too, is just looking at, Hey, there's grieving. There's a grieving process that comes with the losses that you might've sustained on your way back to getting to where you'd like to be. Um, And the more you can honor that, the more you can honor the pain that you're feeling the more likely it is that you might be able to create some movement forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, there's, there's a bunch of people commenting now, um, which is good. Okay. Uh, I know you only have about 10 minutes, so we'll try to try to see what we can get to, but sure, uh, Nicole, said, Nicole says that's the hardest lesson to learn. Slow it down. Exclamation mark. Lucia says, love this live. Thank you. Um, uh, Leanne says, is consistent exercise a foolproof way to regulate a hyperactive nervous system? I would say there's more to it than that. I think that, you know, consistent exercise is going to help, particularly because it helps to balance the sympathetic parasympathetic nervous system, but there's way more to it, right? Like we were talking about breathing exercises, meditation, um, you know, stress reduction. Um, there's even some stuff on, on cold water therapy and cold water showers and things like that, that can elevate your, your parasympathetic system. So I think there's, there's more to it, um, than just, and just the exercise. Here's one for you. Carson says, do you have any tips for when you are flooded with stress and anxiety, such as meditation or mindfulness? Any tips for being flooded with stress and anxiety? What can you do? Mm. That makes, that makes me think about the sympathetic nervous system, right? If we're constantly in that fight or flight mode, that probably sounds kind of what he's describing there. You know, what can you do to bring yourself back into that parasympathetic rest or digest state? Cause that's where healing takes place. That's where we can actually physiologically, emotionally, mentally recover. Um, so like, like the gentleman said, there's things like mindfulness, meditation, um, strategies in psychotherapy, uh, things that can sort of help to calm down that nervous system to learn that you're um, safe in your body is going to help reduce the amount of times your nervous system goes into um, overdrive, goes into fight or flight mode, and you're more likely to start recovering quickly in that parasympathetic or rest and digest state. To get there, you know, I can throw out these terms like mindfulness and meditation, but they're whole practices. Mm. And they're, you know, uh, it's a process to kind of learn and understand them. For those of you who aren't in the concussion fix, where we kind of get into detail about that, there's some great, you know, public apps out there like Calm and Headspace that can teach you the basics. Those are two really well-respected ones. Um, and, and, you know, have done a great job. There's even uh, themes in both of those apps around um, uh, working with pain or injury or setbacks. So I welcome you to check those out as well. Yeah, that's good. Do you recommend people like in that, in that state, do you recommend that they find somebody to work with? Um, or would you recommend they start with something like an app or something like that? Or would you say, you know what, if you're constantly in this state, you know, maybe it would be helpful for you to, you know, find somebody to work with psychologist, psychotherapist, social worker. I mean, if you're finding that you've tried a few things and you can't seem to help um, some of the symptoms you're facing, and it seems to be this chronic state where you're feeling really um, discouraged and, and hopeless about it. Absolutely. Get some support have someone help walk you through it. If you're sort of just on the start of that journey, you might want to set some really reasonable goals for yourself and say, hey, I just need to learn about 
what is mindfulness or I need to try listening to an audio track and start building yourself up again, focusing on building success experiences. That's more likely to help you start building that foundation um, for recovery. Um, but if you do find you're struggling more often than not, and you're feeling really discouraged or self-critical, I definitely recommend reaching out and finding a therapist or um, a community worker or someone that can really help support you through that, even just to get started. Mm-hmm. The, uh, so this here is actually Marike, who's in the concussion fix. She said, this is a very helpful talk, Melinda and Cam. For me, it's hard because I've lost so much work, sports, social engagement, driving a car, reading a book. So the steps from here to a little bit up, uh, they're so small and it's hard to keep, um, uh, that it's hard to keep trust and motivation. Uh, she said, luckily I found concussion fix and this is a great live to add to my trust in the future. Um, so yeah, I think that's something it, it is, it is almost like a loss, right? Like it's, you're, you can't necessarily socialize with friends. I mean, obviously pandemic world right now that, um, you know, a lot of us aren't able to socialize with friends other than zoom calls and stuff, but I find that concussion is just so isolating for people. Um, and I feel that it is hard. And when you try to go out and do it, you end up with this nervous system that just won't let you do it. And now the discouragement is there. So I think that there's some really important nuggets here for people that have been listening to this as to say, don't make the goal necessarily to go out with your friends this weekend for drinks, you know, make the goal to, well, make it to make that goal, let's say for a month from now, or, you know, six weeks from now, and then do the things in the short term to be able to build up to get to that point. Right? Like, I think that's where we're missing is all the steps in between. We're saying, I want to go for drinks this Friday, I'm going to try it. And then boom, it doesn't work. And then now, uh, you know, it just, it just comes, it comes flooding in. Spirals. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Sometimes, yeah, just to comment on that, Cam, sometimes it's just starting for today. You know, what are three things you're doing today? And once you've done those three things, that's great. That's enough. You know, close the book, relax, and then start fresh tomorrow. What are the three things you could do that day? Um, Make them reasonable, make them, you know, things that are going to help you move forward, but not overwhelming. And, you know, sometimes when the, you know, future looks overwhelming and too much, don't think about the future right now. You know, just think about today. And then when tomorrow comes, that's today. And then when tomorrow comes, that's today. And just live in today for a while until you might feel more capable of making plans and taking things on in the future. I think that's a great spot to, uh, to leave off. So um, again, I know there's some things that we weren't able to get to, but uh, Melinda has to go. And I actually just had a meeting th- note pop up. So apparently I have a hard stop at three as well that I can. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Melinda, you can find her at still space. Uh, for those of you that have persistent concussion symptoms and want to have some of these strategies, you can always check out the concussion fix, which is uh, our program at concussiondoc.io. Um, anything else? Thanks, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. We so appreciate the comments. And I think it really helps us, whether it's the podcast, whether it's the IG Live, whether it's the concussion fix, the more we hear from you, the more we learn and the more we can tailor things to what you're looking for. So I thank agree. you yeah. for our audience. I definitely agree. And if you guys have any other topics you want me to cover in future podcasts, uh, feel free to send me a DM on Instagram, comment on the YouTube or um, yeah, I think that'll be a good way to do it. 
All right, Melinda, thanks a lot. Uh, Thank you. And thank you, everybody else. Enjoy the rest of your days and weeks, and I'll see you next week for another episode. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a review. Have questions about concussion management for future episodes? Submit them to our website, Facebook, or even Instagram. See you next time.